Sunday with Miriam on RTE Radio 1, sponsored by Supervalue Insurance. Offering sound advice for your car, home and travel insurance needs. Tweet at Miriam O'Call. Well, before I introduce my next guest, Jessica Willis-Fisher, I want you to listen to her own words from a song called My History. Well, that was my history song by the guest opposite me now, Jessica Willis-Fisher. And I just want to say that some of my next conversation, look, it might not be suitable for younger listeners. So if you just want to listen back later in the RT radio app, please do. That might be a good option. Well, the Willis clan, they were a hugely popular family musical group in the US. They even had their own TV show. They were also regular musical visitors to Ireland. They competed in the FLA. They appeared on weekend chat shows. They presented an image of an old singing, all dancing family of 12 children from Nashville who could conquer the world together. But in 2017, their father, Toby, pleaded guilty to child rape charges and he was sentenced to 40 years in prison. Well, Jessica Willis-Fisher, she's the eldest of those 12 children and she's written an extraordinary book about what went on in her family and how she survived. It's called Unspeakable and it's published by Thomas Nelson Publishers. Jessica's also a solo artist now, very successful, and she's been taking part in the Your Roots Are Showing Folk Music Conference all week here and I'm delighted to say that she is here. Morning, Jessica. Thanks so much for coming in. Thank you so much for having me. It's oh, a delight. My pleasure. Beautiful voice. But for my listeners who remember the Willis Clan and mm-hmm. RT shows, you also, of course, competed on America's Got Talent. You had sure. your own show, as I said. What was the image your family portrayed? What did we see on screen? Well, very early on, we were likened, you know, it would conjure up for people um, whatever flavor it was, maybe the Partridge family or the Von Trapp family. Um, when we first started, we first got started in traditional Irish music and dance. So people would joke that we were the O-Traps, just like, you know, in Chicago because yeah. it was more Irish flavored. But, um, you know, it was that variety, positive, wholesome, kind of a little bit of everything, a little bit for everyone. Um, and, you know, it really... There were a lot of things to enjoy in the moment. Like, I think music is very enjoyable. I think Mm. ideally being with family, being with friends, traveling, like those are all wonderful things. Um, They were, it was mixed in, unfortunately, with some really horrible things as well. So it was a really, um, that was the hardest part for me personally. And I can only speak for myself, but, you know, sometimes having... Like you mentioned, we would come over and compete at The Flower. We would play a wonderful show. We played Croke Park in 2016. We were celebrating, like, the whole 1916, and, like, it's been 100 years, and we got to play, and it was, you know, such a kind of pinnacle moment, and there were some really dark things happening at that same time. So it was it was a very kind of, like, double life thing that I really struggled with. And I'm not going to press you in details. I'm also conscious it's Sunday morning, but look, Bottom line, from a very young age, your dad was touching you inappropriately. He was mm-hmm. using language that wasn't appropriate. Mm-hmm. Did you try to tell your mum what was going on? Yeah, it was really helpful for me when when I kind of got to a safe place, which took a long time. I was in my early 20s. I got into a lot of really good therapy and I was finally able to express 
and find language for and get support for things that I'd been through but never taken the time to process, including such delicate, complicated things like you're just saying. So for me, I had, it was, you know, lots of different types of abuse, but, you know, the sexual abuse was, Mm. you know, I don't know that words like worst or, you know, comparative words don't seem to help because if it's bad, it's bad. Um, But those were the, you know, those were the crimes um, yeah, that started super early for me, so early that I didn't even realize it was like morally wrong or mm. bad. It felt uncomfortable, a little confusing, but not painful, not scary. Mm. And it took time. It took years for me to realize just how secretive, just how bad that was. I was a little bit older. I was still a child when there was a suspicion, like my mother had a suspicion, like has something happened? Has, has dad touched you? Um, and I talk about this in my book because I think context is really important, but truth is very important. And if I'm going to say something, I want it to be the truth. And, uh, and I just nodded and I th- kind of thought, oh, I'm the child I don't understand, but the adults will sort it out. Mm. And um, kind of flashing forward to where I am now, I'm able to have a lot of empathy for both my parents, for anyone that's ever struggled with, you know, having childhood abuse. But when we're adults, we're still those children inside. And anything that we haven't healed, any tools we haven't acquired, like we can continue to suffer that and and kind of visit it upon the next generation. So I can have empathy even for my dad in that way. Um, but what he did was really unacceptable, absolutely unacceptable. And he's not part of my life now. And it's much better that that's behind me. With my mom, I still have a wonderful relationship with her, but it's had to include facing, you know, how many times she did let me down Mm -hmm. and how many times things went on that shouldn't have gone on. And there was so much she didn't know over the years. But, um, you know, I just kind of bring it back to myself and say, I don't want to be in the position of saying, this is so scary. I don't know what to do with this. I I don't have the tools I need. I had to kind of go become that adult that I needed, that I should have had along Mm -hmm. the way. Um, And, you know, empathy is great. Excuses are are not. And so it's been healing for to have, like, for example, my mom's support in telling my story um, because that would have kind of stood between us being able to really kind of face things and try to try to heal from them. So it's been a wonderful healing journey for sure. And I think part of your empathy for your mother is Mm -hmm. also because I think you feel she suffered from your father's control as well. Yeah, I think every time she let me down, she let herself down first. Personally, like, like that's my take on it um and she she grew up without a father and she was raised in a very strict kind of uh she went to a strict college and you know a lot of women in um the circles that i would have grown up in there's a strong religious uh evangelical conservative sort of patriarchal viewpoint where women are only really supposed to be um in service to men and you know mm-hmm. being a wife being a mother being a, literally a help meet like that's supposed to be your greatest calling in life and when your whole identity is supposed to be caring for someone else and defined by someone else, that person has so much power and there's like very little check and balance. And I think that's an issue that I have with the not just, oh, something went wrong in my family and my dad's sort of like this one strange bad apple. It's like I think this these sorts of systems really set especially women and children up for great harm because if you kind of have, in a sense, a benevolent dictator, okay, maybe people aren't being harmed, but if that goes wrong and that person abuses that power, there's very little space and kind of justification and permission to stand up for oneself. And I think my mom suffered her own version of that. And, you know, she would have to speak to that. But I was coming up in that direction and I had to choose something different. And it meant going up against 
not just my father, but my whole kind of family system. It was like kind of like a mini cult. And like, and then to some degree, it felt like kind of the larger community as well. Because it's amazing when you look up the Willis clan and look at you all on the huge shows in America. I mean, you look like this, as you say, Von Trapp, incredibly mm-hmm. happy family. And he was incredibly controlling. He was incredibly mm-hmm. religious. It was like a cult. Like, explain, you weren't allowed wear certain things. You had to totally yeah. do what he wanted you to do. So behind that facade yeah. of we're such a happy family was a lot of control. It's interesting because I think now if I were to, you know, if I'm talking about it with people in my family or just other people that knew us at the time or that were, you know, it's so hard to parse out what is hindsight. And I've had people say, I knew something was wrong. I watched, you know, I saw you after a show. And I, I don't discount that. Um, I think that now... There are even some things that that wouldn't have necessarily pinged people's radar that now, of course, the context makes it so uncomfortable. And when you know what's going on, and I experienced my own extreme version of this myself when I got out, like I couldn't kind of go on the Internet. I couldn't look any of those things up because the cognitive dissonance was Mm -hmm. like crazy making like in therapy, like that's what that's a term that they'll use. Like that's a crazy making situation. You can't be lying to yourself and everyone else. And at some point, the chemical like nervous system can't sustain that sort of conflict. Um, And so there's you there's interviews of us talking about, you know, just like wholesome things, whatever it be, like religion or, or um, you know, being being positive or grateful or how much fun it is to do all the things we're doing. And then you put that mm-hmm. in context with what is also the truth and realize just how contradictory that, that really is. And of course, you're the eldest of 12. Mm-hmm. So did uh, some of your other siblings also suffer abuse? So what I'll say is like I... I've had a commitment and I think they've also kind of, we've all kind of done as much as possible to not speak for someone else. And like, Mm. I'm the oldest. So, you know, my younger siblings are so much younger than me. Um, And I actually was not the first to be like doing interviews and talking publicly after my dad was arrested. I, I was like deep in therapy and it wasn't something I felt like I could I hadn't processed enough of the story. I hadn't, I didn't know, you know, I was trying to figure out what to admit to myself and all, all this catch up. Um, I was 20, just about to turn 24 when I got out. And for me, it took till I turned around 30 to really feel like I had to do all this work for me first and, and then work through things with some of my family and, and just really process things. And I started writing my book out of just therapeutic homework and just things that I was naturally doing. And I look back and I think, you know, we were pushed to do music and dance. And I think to some degree that can be lovely. I think lots of parents want that for their children. And, you know, there's different ways of how far are you going to encourage them or like make them do something. But I think, you know, having any sort of performance or or expressive skill, I think, can be great. Um, My dad took it way too far. Um, But I fell in love with writing and like songwriting and when I was really young, I aspired to be an author, and then I thought, that's probably not going to happen, but songwriting felt like the next closest thing. And I realized now that that was so therapeutic for me, and I think it helped me survive and get me through. Um, and then when it came to that breaking point, I needed, that's still a good tool, but I needed other tools, like the real like trauma therapy and like actual support and all of that. But the music came back, and so... Um, I really feel like both my book and my album are like sisters. It's like they're two different modes of Mm. telling 
that same story. And it's just, I had this choice of if I ever say anything publicly again, when I want it to be the truth and I want it to have purpose and I want it to be meaningful. And uh, my siblings did some music in like 2018. They came back here and they did some interviews. So I'm sorry, I'm, I'm not trying to beat around the bush there, but mm. a few of my sisters have kind of gone on the record and said that, you know, they're comfortable saying that they experienced abuse. And, you know, we have talked some together, but I think, um, I know just for me, it, like I'll be making sense of it probably for the rest of my life. And it does help. Um, it's a really powerful feeling when I've felt the change. I couldn't even make my mouth move to say, like, my father sexually abused me. Like, that's a weird... I know it can make other people uncomfortable sometimes to hear that or mm. without warning to hear that. And I appreciate you kind of gave a warning earlier. Um, it's such a sense of strength now that that sentence doesn't just put me in a corner, right? I can say that yeah. and I actually feel my body calm when I say that because it it's m better for me to be able to face that and even share that, right? How did you get out in the end? And I know you're now very happily married to Sean. Yes. And I think he was quite key, was he? he? Was Tell me about key. him and, and how you did get away from the situation. He was key. So it it's it really is quite harrowing. And I think when I was writing my book, there were times where I was like, people aren't going to believe, like, this reads like a fiction it's actually like or a like movie. a movie or something yeah. like just really intense like a movie that I think like I'm like I could that could never get made because it's just so intense um but some of the high you know some of the not highlights but without getting like super into it uh, I was it was I was in my early 20s and we had been on tour, you know, 2014, 2015, coming into 2016 were just the busiest years. And for some people, those are the only associations. But we had done music and dance for years before. Like, out of my whole life, those are just two years. And it's so strange when people, you know, have so many associations with that time. And it's like, yeah. that's just one small part of my story. Um, but we had just wrapped filming our second season of our reality TV show, and it had just gotten so hard. I had met this young man that I was interested in, and he was interested in me. But uh, you were asking earlier, like, there was rule, like, we couldn't date. Um, we could, we didn't have, until that Christmas, when I turned, when I was 23, uh, we didn't have phones. I never had my own car. And, you know, I had worked, essentially, from my early teens all the way through, and although the band was making, you know, we were touring, selling tickets, the TV show, none of us individual kids were paid like a salary or fees or anything. Um, after I got out, there was a little bit of like trying to negotiate that. Um, and I can't, can't speak to what all happened after I had left, but, you know, that really hampers you. You look like an adult to the rest of the world. Um, but when I got out, I didn't even have necessarily proof of education either. So, like, you don't have a bank account. Because you were homeschooled, weren't you? Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. And there's some wonderful things about homeschooling, but it really set me up for this struggle, like, emotionally and psychologically, but then just very practically trying to kind of transition out of this, like, weird little planet or bubble or cult that I was in to, like, the normal world. And it didn't look like we were that different. But, yeah, I think coming back to the relationship, um, love and relationship and connection is so powerful. And that, I think, in my opinion, was such a threat to my dad and his control and his power. Um, and so he was, you know, not in favor um, pretty quickly my now husband fell out of favor and it was, I was not allowed to talk to him and I continued to talk to him. It was just yet another kind of lie and um, crazy thing, but he really supported me and he started 
kind of feeling like something's off and asked me a few questions and I sort of confirmed things. There was so much more behind the scenes that he didn't know, his family didn't know, but they just extended an invitation to something better. Um, and I kind of got to the point where I thought, I'm either going to die or I have to get out. My dad was getting more and more violent because when you when you try to show that you're getting out, that's when the hammer comes down that much harder. So yeah, it was it got really really dark before, um, and you know again I write about it on the day of, but I just said I I can't do this anymore. And my dad had taken off his belt and like <laughs> spanked me, and I was like, wait, I'm 23 years old, you're hitting me, and I'm allowing like this is the last time this is going to happen. Um, and so in some ways it felt like I was kicked out, but I was also escaping. It was, it was just a really strange day. It was a really strange day. <laughs> but you did escape. He's doing 40 years and you're now married to Sean, aren't you? Yeah, he's, yeah, he's here. He's, he's yeah, here, he's here so. today and his family are great as well. And of course, you're here in Ireland at a folk music conference all week, aren't you? I know you played in Dundalk. How was that? That this has been such an amazing start to our trip. Um, your roots are showing. Wonder can't say enough about how wonderful it was. Made so many like international friends. There were people from Australia, um, England, Italy, all sorts of different places. So that was really fun. And then I got to play Anton, if I'm saying it correctly. Yeah. Um, what a warm welcome. We were in the small room, and it just everybody seemed so excited to be there. So this is my that was my first time in Dundalk, and definitely. Mm fell in love there. We're going to head around for the next week and finish up in Dublin for, for Temple Bar. Um, going to play at a friend's house tonight. They said they were probably going to be listening, so hello. <laughs> <laughs> and actually, Maria in West Cork, lots of nice reactions, says, Dear Miriam, I'm listening to Jessica speaking such truths. We carry our trauma right through every aspect of our lives until mm -hmm. we look at it, let it emerge and be fearless in speaking. It's good for her to now, as an adult, look after her own needs. I can't wait to mm. read her book. Which is oh wow, those are such beautiful words. Thank you to her. That's that it means a lot that, you know, I need to make sure it's right for me first. But it is so exciting and inspiring and gives me so much energy to be a part of like larger change. Mm. And I started in the last couple of years going and speaking and advocating for different groups and education and prevention um, because, <clears throat> you know, childhood abuses of mm. pretty much any kind are so underreported. Sexual abuse is so prevalent. And uh, it is so difficult to talk about. It is difficult to be in a body and speak to your own experiences and like make that, make your mouth move and, and not have it hurt you all over again. Um, so the book helps me say it without having to say all of it over and over again. Um, and actually, it's a really important book. It's called Unspeakable. Unspeakable. It's by you, Jessica Willis-Fisher. But most importantly, you've got your singing voice back. You're oh, writing yeah. great songs. <laughs> um, we're delighted that you think Ireland is, it's almost like a second home to it, you, said. It is. If I ever disappear, I'm going to be on the west coast of Ireland. You can you can be sure about that. It's my yeah. favourite place. <laughs> Absolutely. It's beautiful. And thank you so much for, it's not easy to share your story. Yeah. Thank you very much for talking to us this morning. You can find this book and all about your music on jessicawillisfisher.com and just for people listening if anyone listening has been affected by any of the mm -hmm. topics in our conversation they can find helplines on rt.ie forward slash helplines mm -hmm. and of course you can also get more info on one in four.ie but you we're going to listen to you now jessica willis fisher singing slow me down Fast lane, cold rain, worry of the future. 
looking for 